this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, we are often blessed with the ability to go back to the same band and revisit a second album. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's two albums that we really like. Sometimes it's two albums that maybe one of us likes and one of us doesn't like. Sometimes we'd like neither of them. It can be all sorts of different combinations. In this case, we picked the previous one on our own. This was just like five years ago that we did this previous episode. And now, was it really? yeah, it was episode, yeah, episode- 251. Wow. So basically about okay. about five years, halfway through the podcast, of, or a little less, actually. It was uh, November 3rd of 2015. What's today? What? You're kidding me. No way. Wow. That was the post date of that episode. The and we're recording date. this episode on November 3rd of 2021. What? So six years later, we are revisiting to the day this band Wow, I couldn't even I could not have made that happen if I tried. And I didn't. <laughs> I don't try. I. Wow. Holy shit. That's just called that's called um serendipity, boys. It's also a movie with John Cusack. You might want to check it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's right, it is. It's not as good as I, Must I'd Love Dogs, pretty hard but it's pretty good. <laughs> I've managed to forget that. <laughs> so he's been here before, he's back again. Phil Fleming, welcome. Hello. Now, you've been on a number of uh, roundtables and, and discussions with us, but your previous picks have been yes. Big Chief last year, July of last year, Mac Avenue Skull Game, and then Thornetta Davis, which you, you had a, a uh, I guess you'd say a Detroit, uh, Michigan thing going there. Right, because both those bands are from are from that area, right? Yes, uh, yeah, they are. They are from Detroit, um, and frankly, that I ran out of Thornetta Davis material to to send you guys. So, <laughs> so you just ditched the United States altogether, and we'll let let I'm going to let you uh, introduce the the band and the album. What did you pick for this episode, and who and and why did you pick it? Okay, so one of the first, I'm going to go back a few years, and one of the first uh, DMO episodes I had listened to would happen to be about this band, and the other one being the Grays Rochambeau, and uh, I, re- I, was, I was surprised that you chose that particular album and not the follow-up. Now... Um, who I am talking about is the Wild Hearts, and uh, I, I got to say, it, it, when I initially listened to the episode, I was genuinely surprised on 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 the the critiques. Let's just, we'll probably get that get into a little bit of that a little bit later, but um, I figured that this this particular album would be. It, would be either one one of two things. A, it would either solidify your stance on the band based on the previous episode, or B, completely change your mind. I don't think there would be a middle ground. Um, I am talking about the Wild Hearts, P-H-U-Q. Also known as Fuck. Fuck. (laughs) This episode is rated... NC seventeen P, yeah, Traded P, yeah. Uh, th- th- this one, there will be 
there will be a parental advisory sticker on this episode. Right. And so the album that we had previously done is the debut album by the by the Wild Hearts, which is called Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. It was uh, re- that album was released in 1993. And we were kind of. I think we went in thinking we were going to really like it. And Jay even said, this should be my favorite band, but on it paper. isn't. <laughs> yes, on paper. Um, we were, what had happened was we had, what had happened was uh, we had reviewed the Almighty. And then in the comments for that episode, back when we were on Tumblr, uh, somebody commented oh about the Wild Hearts. And we and Jay was like, I'm gonna pick the Wild Hearts because I I should like this band. I don't know why I haven't gotten into them. And uh we left that disappointed. We were not uh it didn't work for us. We each had our own critiques, but that's the general consensus of, of what happened. And so now we get to check out the follow-up album to this. So how did you discover the Wild Hearts, Phil? Okay. Well, and I can thank a good friend of mine in Minneapolis, Tom, because uh, I had gotten into the darkness and the Wild Hearts in 2004 were opening for the darkness on their U.S. tour. And he kept saying, oh, my God, you got it. You got to hear this band. You got to hear this band. And he actually sent me. He had he had sent to me. I think he went through Amazon, had it sent to me. Um, a copy of of fuck and a couple of singles that came out around 2003 uh stormy in the north karma in the south and all i needed to hear was the opening riff of the first song on this record and i was just in love immediately um i did, i and i went back found found earth verses and then, then uh, they actually put out a they put out a record in the states in 2004 called "The Wild Hearts Must Be Destroyed," which is a very, very uh, pop version of the band being presented on that particular record. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I just fell for it. Hook, line, sinker. I basically just threw money at him for the last 15 17 years so jay is that the same tour we saw them on yep i believe it's been their only u.s tour i don't remember them opening for the darkness that's that totally uh i didn't have a good time with that show i remember being like overly violent (laughs) like i was going expecting an 80s metal show with like headbanging and there were like dudes like trying to mosh and like be really aggro at it. And I was like, what? This isn't the crowd for this. No. And then yeah. Get Your Hands Off My Woman came on and people like went nuts. And I was like, oh, yeah. this, is, this is not what uh, I was expecting. Okay. But anyway. Anyway. Um, so I don't have to ask Jay if you heard of this band or are you familiar with this band because obviously you are. We, we did a previous episode. Yeah. yeah Had yeah. you listened yep. before we got this one in the hopper had you listened to this record um i must have i knew i want to go where the people go i don't know if that was maybe from a a comp or somewhere else but i'm like generally familiar with this band like i know a lot of the singles and so at some point i at least heard that song um i don't remember if i actually listened to this record or which records in their catalog i have listened to and which i haven't um i I, like phil i i had heard of the band prior to seeing them live um because they were sort of um adjacent to the action rock scene um of the late 90s early 2000s and then i remember them getting a push for that album that came all the time um was it the wild hearts must be destroyed or yeah called remember getting a push there and the local radio was playing the single off of that. Um, and uh, I think around that somewhere between the, the late early two thousands. And then I was trying to check out their catalog as much as I could. 
Yeah, well, it was kind of funny because up until that time, the only other record that came out in the States was Earth versus the Wild Hearts. This particular record did not come out in the States at all. Um, mm. It was supposed to, but there was some something going on at, at their at their label where they just pulled all us support for it. And, uh, there were, I think they were going to open for ACDC on the ball breaker tour. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just, it just ultimately didn't happen after the Europe shows they were going to come here and, and their label decided to not release it in the States. Interesting. Yeah. So we haven't mentioned it, but this came out in May of, 1995 on East West Records. This was the album that saw some personnel changes. Um, guitarist CJ, who is uh, Christopher Paul Persuad Jaghar, also known as CJ Wildheart. Yes. Uh, he was fired during the recording of this album. So, and there were, they brought in, um, well, so the other lineup, other other members are Danny McCormick on bass and vocals, Rich Battersby on drums and vocals, Will Dowling on keyboards. Um, the guitar credits are a little bit messy on this. Is like who played what, and um, I think there was another guitar player brought in at some point, uh, probably for the live shows. I'm guessing after this to cut handle the two guitar duties. Um, yes. They actually ended up recording enough material, it is reported, for three albums. There are 14 B-sides to this album, which you can get on the 2010 bonus. There you go. Uh, Phil's holding it up right now. The 2010 reissue uh, bonus has a bonus material. There were two German uh, songs that were on an EP. Or is it, or no, it was a fan club album called Fishing for Luckies. Yes. And then there, and some of those were also Japanese versions or Japanese uh, bonus tracks. So they recorded a ton of material and then whittled it down. Luckily for this record um, to just 13 songs. And just so you guys are aware, so I listened to this on Spotify. On Spotify, the last track does not have the hidden track. Oh. It cuts off at 4.38, and then there's another. There's supposed to be another minute of a hidden track, oh, yeah. and it's not there. Apple Music does the same. I'm also noticing something weird um, with the release date on Apple Music is August 30th, 93, but then there's a copy or restricted claim for 1995 Warner Music. So there's two dates. <laughs> so not sure what's going on here. You're saying it's 95 though, Tim. It is 95. Yeah. So the, and then they no, broke up no with, version of this in 93. No, they, they had material out. Uh, they had fishing for luckies out in 94, but earth versus the wild hearts came out in 93. Um, yeah. And then the year after this, they ended up breaking up with East West records. So they East West records against the will of the band put out a greatest hits based on these two, two albums. Uh, which uh, they are not, uh, they do not endorse. They do not endorse that. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Let's what find out if Patreon endorsed mm. this band. Of course, we'll get to the poll at the end of the episode, but we've got comments. I, I've made, I made it a point to not check out the comments. Okay. So th this will be, this will be a, a, a surprise to me. Martin says, finally, an easy choice. <laughs> Darren Lehman says, it's definitely rock and roll. There's no mistaking that. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I don't know if Darren likes the rock and roll. He might not. Uh, Kyle Bittner said, there are a couple of good tracks that didn't, there are a couple of tracks that didn't drive, jive with me. And given that, it's almost too much of a good thing. But when it rocks this much, I'll give it a pass. We're the album. Darren Leach says the album starts so st strong. The first three tracks are all killer. Then the album falls away fast. It picks up again at the end with naivety play and getting it. Five great tracks equals an EP. Finally, final note, the drummer hits it hard. Some of the cleanest drumming I've heard. 
Richard Waterman says, I both agree and disagree with the two Darrens and Kyle. <laughs> with Darren squared. It does start off strong and slightly fall away. It's definitely a it is definitely a full throttle rock and roll album, and I love that. Great drum sound, amazing guitar tone all the way through. My face looked like candle wax by the end of it. <laughs> Not to say there's no finesse. There are some glam and power pop flourishes, too. I do think it would be a better 10-song rock album, though. Favorite track, I Want to Go Where the People Go, Justin Lost, Caprice, and Be My Drug. Special mention to Phil and Eric for bringing the rock back. We're the album. Of course, Eric brought us the Phantom Blue album that went over like uh, like gangbusters with the uh, Patreon community. Oh, yeah. We, we've been on a rock uh, roll here with the rock and roll. Yeah, we have. Uh, Patrick you, you, Testa you, this says... falls right into place. Yes. Patrick Testa says, shake, rattle, and more shake, and then some more rattle. If I were the producer of this album, I would go into the studio every day and say, I think this record needs a little roll. <laughs> uh steve brzezinski said i put off listening to this album simply based on how much i did not enjoy earth versus the wild hearts back when it was reviewed in 2015 but that was over five years ago so i gave it another chance but only made it to track five usually hitting skip before any of the songs actually ended which only my made me procrastinate even further on getting to this record suffice to say i went into this record expecting to hate it but i couldn't have been but it couldn't have been farther from the truth to me the difference between this and the debut is absolutely night and day a worthy album for me great pick phil and pete says this album is fucking great f-o-o-k-i-n no i just said it like that but it's oh, okay. it's, it's the p-h-u-q-i-n <laughs> yes so that is the commentary and feedback from our patreon community for this record jay let's get into it tell me one thing you like about phuq they do have periods after each letter on the album title so i'm gonna say that phuq by the wild hearts that means those letters meet stand for something else yeah pretty hot into this under questioning <laughs> please hold your question your questions yeah <laughs> finally honey that's it you, you crack utensils <laughs> quicksand quicksand oh yeah uh well i think you get a lot well i'm not i'm trying to I'm gonna try not to reference the first record too much because i honestly don't remember everything we said about that uh but i think my general impressions are about this band you you, you hit it on the first track right away get the big riff um you get the beefy drums yes he hits very hard the drumming is very sharp progressive the overall sound is really compressed it's really upfront in your face but that bed you know sort of this on 11 all the time uh, really works well when you get the melodies and the hooks which the first song brings uh without a doubt i want to go where the people go um, you also start to get the sense of the dynamics that this band, you know, can bring to things to keep, um, I guess what would be maybe like at times foundationally power pop on like 
20. Uh, you hear that again in Justin Lust, which I think is maybe my favorite song on the on the album. Uh, I love in that how it builds. You get this anthemic riff. Um, you immediately like want to like bang your head or pound your fist in the air. But I love the how the riff kind of turns around on itself, and you, it's just a great moment of you know it pulls you in, and then it they use timing and dynamics in a way that just is not always completely straightforward. You know, it shows a definitely a skill, but it also, I think helps keep pulling you along, you know, for the songs that work really well. Um, so it's not just about the sugary choruses, the big sing-alongs. Um, it's also about these dynamics that, you know, push and pull and kind of mess with your head at times, even um, in terms of where's the song going to go, where's it going to turn how's the where's the drummer going to drop in um how is the riff going to change those sorts of things almost to a level of i would say on this record i get the sense of there's almost like a progressive element to it like a mathy kind of um musicianship slash craft that they bring that's really pretty unique, I think, in terms of just how it's done with so much force, but from a melody and songwriting standpoint with, you know, with great hooks. Um, so, you know, I think it's a great example of how they can bring those things together um, in a very unique way. liked i don't remember the other record having some as many variations on the vocal um i was kind of noting that whether it's ginger singing or there's harmonies or like how he's singing or how it's produced there's even a song like baby strange which doesn't sound like his voice i thought it was cj maybe singing but you're saying he didn't fully participate in this record so i'm not sure whose voice that is but I did like the the variations um, vocally. I think it, again helped shake it up and not make it too samey because I, you know, this band can't fall into a. Um, it almost sounds overly produced. It's like so precise and compressed and loud and in your face and like the vocals at times are layered. That hearing those variations and I think how the vocals handled helps a lot. Because uh, there's not a ton of variation in the guitar tone. There's not a ton of variation in the drum sounds. So hearing a little more range vocally here, even in just how it's produced, um, whether the, it, you know, has more reverb or it's more distant or using like small vocal effects, you know, to make it sound like a kind of a CB radio or, you know, adding in the doubles or the harmonies, those sorts of things really helped as well in terms of, keep you on your toes through this whole record. Um, so really that's the big theme for me is this is a band that, that plays a lot with dynamics. Um, and when it works really well, it's all done in service to kind of get you to the next hook, which I really appreciate. What about you, Tim? Is it Timger? Is that your name tonight? Yeah, that's my name. And in honor of Ginger, you're Timger? Timger. Tim Timger. Timger Wildheart. Yeah, there you Tim go. Tim Wildheart. I'm an, I'm an official <laughs> Wildheart member. Uh, so I feel like Ginger heard our 
our um, criticisms of the first record and then traveled back in time and wrote this record <laughs> and then traveled forward in time. So this was actually placed in indirect uh, succession to the previous record because we were so tough on that first album. And it's, it's almost, I would, I would, I would say it's like, uh, you get a, you get a, a, um, like a math quiz back from your teacher and it's a C plus. And they're like, if you can find your, if you can show me where you went wrong, I, I can bump your grade up. And then we, we bumped it up to a B plus or an A minus. Cause uh, I feel like this record corrects a lot of the stuff that I struggled with in just the immediacy of a lot of these songs. Um, I remember it was taking like a minute and a half, two minutes just to get to the start of the verse in some of those songs because there's so much riffing, which I love riffing. I like, I like hard rock. I like power pop. I like when there's some indulgence here. They condense that. Now there are songs where there's two, one or two riffs before you get to that, but they're cut to like, uh, you know, just four measures as opposed to 12. Um, they're not doing variations on the same thing over and over again. And this feels just like so much tighter than the first record. And I think the, the reduction of guitar players maybe has something to do with that. It doesn't feel as cluttered. I felt like we were getting like almost overwhelmed by how much guitar was happening in the first that you couldn't, there was no come down. Whereas you mentioned Justin Lust, when you get to those verses where it's that staccato, like daren't, daren't, like that's very power pop. That's 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 like yeah. the knack. You know what I mean? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And yep. if you had a second guitar player who was also trying to shred on top of that, that that wouldn't work as well. That's definitely the work of like a singular vision for that part. And I'm with you on the vocal too. The, the backing vocal, the counter melodies, the I, I love the closing track getting it with with those shouted vocals. I think yeah. it's so fun. It's a perfect album closer. You know, we get to so many uh, album closers to Philly. They're just tacked on. And like that song makes me want to instantly start the record again, because the two strongest yeah. songs for me, are the beginning of the first and last track. Not that there aren't good songs in the middle, but they did a really great job of, of placing those. Um, and they're, they're placed throughout as well. Everything that I found troublesome with that first record is is so much is so much it's addressed here. It's so much better yeah. because we wanted to like that record. We're like everything. This should work. And it's not working. And yeah. now it's now it's completely working for me. Um, I, I like the way his voice sounds. I, they they nail all, all the vocal parts. I don't know who produced this. I don't know if it was the band because it's not listed on Wikipedia. Maybe you could look that up, Phil, in your in your physical copy. But uh, it just sounds great. And it sounded like someone said, hey, guys, maybe let's not have a six minute long song. Maybe we're going to trim this down to three thirty. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> let's be a little more realistic here. And they are. There is some right. indulgences. I mean, there's two songs which are essentially intros to uh, baby strange is essentially an intro to need a nitro and cold patootie tango 
is essentially the intro to Caprice, which that's a long section because um, that intro is basically a minute 58 and then the song is 543. Now, I love the riffing that's going on in Caprice. Like that is some sweet. Uh, I, I don't know if it has a little like new wave of British heavy metal sounding riffing going on. Like I could hear that influence as much as I could hear in other parts of, you know, the very power popish sounding stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I was just really impressed and just kept listening. I kept listening to this over and over again to the point where I was down in Florida and I was driving my parents' car to go to Home Depot and I had my phone plugged in and I was cranking this with the windows down, driving through the retirement community. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, shit, you got through is blasting as I'm as I'm cruising past the uh, the people on the 18th hole playing golf uh, in the in the community golf center. So, yeah, this this sounded good in the car. It sounded good on the plane with the uh, earbuds, and it sounded good uh, at home with my uh, with my studios headphones that I've had for many years now. So. Phil, what works best for you on this record? Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to quote an EP title, riff after motherfucking riff. <laughs> um, it, it's just one guitar hook as opposed to just a riff, one hook after another, and it's almost all guitar. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 it was just knowing where to where to to keep it driving or when to when to change to the next one. Um, yet in listening to your to your critique of the last one, a, a lot of your criticisms were indeed correct. I just didn't dislike them as much as you two did, I guess. Um, I just said I did notice that that a good number of the songs on Earth Versus did go in directions that it probably shouldn't have. Just throwing it throwing in an extra very riff variation at the end of a song to extend its playing length, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense, even though I thought it was still pretty cool. Um a lot of that was a lot of that was almost completely eliminated for this particular record um which is ultimately why i chose it for you too <laughs> cuz it cuz a lot of a lot of what you a lot of what you had criticism for was was almost entirely corrected by this record and um yeah, they, I mean they they've indulged on on other records, but they don't fit the DMO quite criteria. So you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> They're all in the two thousands. Gotcha. I did find it interesting that um, they indulged in ways on this record, like with the intros. There's a couple other ones where they take a little bit. There's almost like a little bit of experimentation at the beginning of some songs. Mm-hmm. I think like one of the songs has like a reverse guitar or bass drum thing going on. Uh, it might be that cold patootie tango uh, intro to Caprice. But there are some like interesting little weird things happening. But I did not find myself getting annoyed by it because the songs were so concise. Because there are songs on here that they might have a little bit of like noise at the beginning, but then the song is only like two and a half minutes. So you're getting like this really compact, well-written track as opposed to then five and a half minutes of a song after a minute long intro. Jay, did you pick up on that at all? Yeah. I, I saw both sides of that. So as I listened to the record passively, I definitely noticed it wasn't fatiguing me as much as the other one did. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, like you, I was hearing hooks, getting pulled in, looking forward to listening to it again versus the others. Was, 
the other record, I felt like at the end, I just needed to take an up, take a break. Right. And it's basically the same length. <laughs> And be in, be in silence for a while. Um, right. <laughs> now, one of the reasons for that uh, is I noticed there's uh, at least three songs that fade in, which is unusual, right? Yeah. I mean, not a lot of songs fade in. They usually fade out. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe as a passive listen, that helped a, maybe a lot more than I realized. Uh, just to give a break, just to kind of take a breath and bring the volume down, you know, and kind of reset. And, and it just created more of, I think, of a, of a, of a ride to go on versus, you know, going 200 miles per hour into the wind for an hour, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so now when I listen to it more actively, this was, maybe I can get into some stuff I didn't like, I was starting to question like, why are we, why do we have these fade-ins? You know, as I'm taking notes on each of these songs, I'm like, what is the point of the fade in? Where is this going? Like, why, why do I need this? And just put it in. So I'm conflicted. Um, I, I think they're probably not a good thing. You know, under a critical ear, I'm questioning them. And I think one of the things that this band, um, one of the burdens they carry is when I hear I want to go where the people go and Justin Lust and need a nitro and getting it and i hear like how this band can be such a sharp poppy you know concise machine when they diverge from that i get antsy so a song like caprice if i listened to that you didn't tell me who it was i would probably love that song but in the context of this record i'm like itching to get back to i want to go where the people go you know, I'm itching to get back to that sugary power pop feel. And instead, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm indulging a Metallica-like uh, epic ballad type song that is like super interesting and got some awesome riffs in it. But in the context of this record, I'm like itchy to move on. that was much more amplified in the first record but it's still a little bit here for me um cold patootie tango is another good example you know the even the, when they're clean picking and they're not riffing it's a very metallica or like another band i thought of was tire which is like a norwegian viking metal band like it has this very like minor like doom ish kind of feel to it um, Caprice, like I mentioned, uh, even Naivety play, which gets into kind of a helmet territory, this really sharp, stabby guitar riff, um, that is okay. And I probably will like it on its own, but again, in the context of this song, I, I want a little less anger and a little more sugar. Like, I just want them to walk that line of like, um, it being hooky, but just enough attitude where it's like, you know, cheap trick on 20. Um, and, you know, at times going some places with some riffs and things and some acrobatics that, you know, are unique to them, but not so far off script that um, I feel like I was just dropped into like, you know, a Metallica ripoff band from the late 80s. Um, so there, there's some moments on here like that 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 I didn't love. 
What did you, what did you think the tune? What, what didn't work for you? I agree with you. I think when they start to get minor and dissonant, like you mentioned on Naivety Play and, and Caprice, they're completely competent songs, but they're not necessarily like what I want to hear from this band because they've set yeah. up such a great, you know, opening five, six tracks that I don't need to hear them doing, you know, like you said, like help that Naivety Play has like a very metallic helmet sound um to it and caprice while it has a ton of really cool riffs and stuff it's almost six minutes long i could have used I, after that intro give me like three minutes you know what i mean like yeah. pull, you can pull that off but i don't need 543 and i think the other thing with naivety play that bothered me is that the first like 50 seconds is just this intro picked guitar thing and then it actually gets into the song um yeah. which is i don't mind when they introduce the song with a riff and then a second riff but i know they're going to bring those riffs back at some point you just get they're giving you like a little taste yeah but if you're not going to do that then to me it's like either separate that out to a different track or don't don't do that or just do it for a very short period of time but not not almost a minute like all these songs that work well are very tight three minutes four minutes somewhere in there and when they start to indulge that's where that's where it gets a little bit less interesting i'm sure their greatest hits must kick ass because <laughs> there's a bunch of good stuff on here i know they've written other good songs so um, I need I actually need to spend some time more going through the rest of this catalog and, and their best of because this album is a good indication that, you know, Ginger Wildheart can write some great, great hooks, both in guitar and vocals. And I don't mind like the aggression of like, whoa, shit, you got through, you know, it's just that works for me because it's got a great chorus. It's just you know, lightning fast, two mm -hmm. and a half minutes dropped in the middle of the record. It's kind of a fun, just explosion of everything about them and, you know, compact and on hyperspeed. I, I don't mind that. Right. It's this sort of diverging into, yeah, like you said, minor, thrashy, almost metal stuff that like if the it, if some of these songs were like on the uh, Galactic Cowboys record, I'd be like, "This is awesome, <laughs> right?" <laughs> but this isn't the Galactic Cowboys. Yeah, there's just like a uh, shade difference that yeah, they're they're not quite matching up with. Phil, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Well, it, it's funny that you brought up Naivety Play. Um, that's actually personally my favorite song on the record for all of the reasons you mentioned. Um, that, but I, I, I will give you this, that some of those intro riffs that go into a song that doesn't contain that initial riff. Um, I'm trying to remember, uh, like going into like that initial riff going into naivety play that could have been in a different song or something like that. I mean, if it just started with that with that singular guitar riff, that main riff, it would have been a a, a tighter thing. Um, yeah, that. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose the fade into Jonesing for Jones works better than, you know, the intro riff to Naivety play. Um, I personally think that, you know, Cold Patootie but Tango did not need to be there. Um, yeah. I mean, because it because it's so close to to Caprice as far as, you know, moods, you know, mood and and execution. Just uh, just uh, having Caprice right there would would have been just as fine um i i really do not have that many complaints 
about this. It, I mean, it just seemed like, you know, a couple of those intro riffs seemed superfluous. Yeah. I mean, my complaints are much less than, than the first record. Like this, this works a lot better for me than that first album. And I think someone mentioned in the comments about this being a better 10 song record. I'd probably be right there with them. Like if you were to trim this down to 10 songs, uh, I, I think that this is, well, I don't want to give my yeah. thing away, but so we need to talk about, this comes out in 1995 mm-hmm. and you mentioned it wasn't originally released in the United States. I'm not surprised because really? I can't imagine. Oh yeah. No, I mean, in the context of 1995, this thing would have died. Right. Well, first of all, I feel like they shoot themselves in the foot to begin with, with the album title, like, you know, that this is like the era of like Walmart starting to like censor albums, you know, this is famously when like show me, (sighs) right? Exactly. You're that's the number one music retailer by 1995. So now you've got an album and your album title is fuck. So no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I but don't on, see how this the, would on be. On the flip side, it could have been a selling point. Yeah, I don't know that that goes over well with Americans as well. <laughs> it, yeah. Like it with okay for Van Halen, yes, because right. Van Halen is Van Halen. Right. Yeah, they can get away with foreign lawful carnal knowledge. Yeah, because they've because they had a career, you know, a good fifteen years. Right. Prior. This yeah. is essentially introducing. I mean, I know they had an album before this, but like this is. Maybe you, if you get the right video director, maybe you can make a video for I Want to Go Where the People Go or Justin Lust for the U.S. market that could maybe crack it for you. Which, which is funny because there is there is a music video for I Want to Go Where the People Go filmed in New York. Hmm. They're basically playing on a flatbed truck. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like... Um... Bands like this sometimes, if they don't make every single correct move, oh, did, yeah. Well, it's well, hard with, to break with, through. With it, with that band, they a good chunk of their of their career, especially in the '90s, was shooting themselves in the foot almost deliberately. Also, this is before the the reign of the the bands. That doesn't happen until the late '90s, 2000s. True. True. So, um, I mean, th- there was a publicity stunt around around the release of this record, where they go into the offices of Kerrang magazine with baseball bats and thrash the place. I mean, <laughs> 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 but this did make it to number six on the UK album chart, right? It, it, I mean, it, that that's the uh, really the only reservation I had because I mean, if any if anyone decides to join the Patreon and the Discord, I usually have an instant disqualification for commercially successful records. <laughs> um, and that's their high, highest charting album in the, the UK, and, and um, their second and their second highest charting was this past summer. Yep. And they've gotten close before uh Fishing for Luckies, which I get I mean that made it to number sixteen. It did and that get was an official fa- release. Gotcha. And then Renaissance Men in twenty nineteen made it to number eleven. Um mm-hmm. everything's made it onto the charts in the UK and then actually had some Japanese uh charting albums starting with Endless Nameless in two thousand or uh, ninety-seven. So there's been some success i don't i you know i don't think that this is a a band that's sold millions of records but they've definitely had some some success and i know that there's been some uh you know singles that have gotten played in the uk and and oh yeah they 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 have they have a pretty they had a pretty steady stream of regularly charting singles like they they never cracked the top ten, but they cracked the top twenty a few times, and 
And uh, I'm trying to remember if I want to go where the people go was one of them. I think it was. I think that went top 20. So let's uh, let's get into ratings. I'm interested to see where you land on this, Jay, because I I feel like you came around a little bit, but you still had some legit criticisms. So I I, like it when I listened to the Earth versus episode, I was when I picked this, I'm genuinely like really interested in what what Jay would say about this particular one, because it is definitely an almost a reaction record to the previous one. Is it going to be a worthy album? No Jay? Is it going to be a better EP or will it be a decent single? Let's go to Jay now and let's get that. <laughs> let's get that answer from him right now. Jay. Drum oh, please. Man. Cue up this, the snare drum. I'm going to go with a worthy album. Yay. Uh, yeah. I think, like I said, even the stuff that's more a little more indulgent, or maybe if it's you don't consider indulgent, it's certainly a left turn. Um, I still think it's more song oriented. They're just a different style than than maybe I'm I'm wanting from this band. I don't think any of it's bad or like I'm not skipping past it. I'm just eager to get to the big hook to the next big hook. Um, I think they did a much better job sequencing this record. Like I mentioned, I think those fade-ins probably do help quite a bit. Um, I also just think the, like I said, the, the way the vocal very is varied, the way that the, you know, there's some changes in tempo. There's just enough variety here that I don't feel like I'm trapped in like, you know, endless riff land for too long. Um, <laughs> It's it certainly think, helps. It certainly helps that unlike Earth Versus, there was actual ballads included on the record too. Yes, yeah, because Earth Versus had no ballads, Absolutely. or just slower material. It doesn't even have to be a ballad, yeah. but just like True. Cr- take it down a notch to give us a, some breathing space. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I love uh, like in, in Lily's Garden, which is a you could consider that a bit of a left turn you know it gets kind of dreamy and very beatles-esque but i think that's great i don't you know i like that i don't mind some of the the punkier stuff i think jonesing for jones shows a little bit of their maybe moonage daydream david bowie influence um so yeah there's enough variation here that it keeps me um guessing and also interested in you know what's going to come next i think it also helps that it ends strong like you said tim um, I like In Lilith's Garden, and I'm with you. I think Getting In is is one of uh, the better songs on the record. It's a great album closer. Um, it makes you want to go see this band live, too. You know, you just get that, like, you can imagine them doing that song live and it being great. So yep. um, often I feel like we, you know, albums that we end up with EPs, you know, they kind of either they tend to fizzle out, um, or if they gain any steam at the end, they sort of, ruin it by the last track and then you're not eager to go back and start it again uh but i think they start strong they end strong um you know it's it's a it's a good ride from start to finish and you know this is probably as good a representation of of anything of of who they are and what they do and you know they're a unique band in the in the hard rock power pop world so we're the album for me i'm with you what do you got tim I'm with you. Worthy album. I'm so glad that we got to check this out because that Wild Hearts review has been hanging heavy on my heart for six years now. <laughs> that we want we wanted to like that band. Oh it my just god! Didn't happen. Stop bullshitting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there there are records yeah. where, uh, in theory, they should work, and you're just like. Why doesn't this work? Why am I not getting this? Well, well, I honestly, I think that if Earth Versus had a couple of ballads and they trimmed some of the fat off of some of the existing songs on the record. Yeah. And lost this track News of the World because I thought that was just stupid. Um, (laughs) 
the wild hearts the wild hearts community is going to go have my head um but it i'm pretty sure that you that the conscious the the opinion of earth versus would have been different had it had it broken up that you know 50 minute monster with a couple of slower somewhat quieter tracks um that and that is something that this particular record does wonderfully even even on the tracks that end up getting louder at the end yeah i just i feel like this works so much better as you mentioned passive versus active listening like it works both because when i was te- when i was actively listening my foot was bouncing to these songs and that's a good indication when i'm like i am into this record um and you know i'll do a i'll do a pass where i just kind of i listen to like the first minute to minute and a half to see where it gets with each song and then i'll skip and I'll go to the next one and it was so like you're getting into these songs so much faster than before that it made it a much more enjoyable listen so phil uh anticlimatically can you uh can you give us your uh rating Not, in in my opinion the only thing i would totally drop is cold patootie tango and and you have you have a wonderful 12 song album I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, Caprice is like the the outlier in this because that, that that's the one where you know it kind of goes in goes in directions with riffing. What well, I but, think that the tough part is that Caprice and Be My Drug are back to back, and they're the two five minute long. They're both five what, minutes what you long. Say, I, I think I think Be My Drug's running time, what goes on in that song works for its running time. Right, because I mean, because the the verses are really, you know, with the I'm I'm probably going to get it wrong, like the almost the Leslie guitars in the verses and and the and the reverb vocals and and then it goes then it goes into this kind of Beatlesy power pop thing for the choruses mm-hmm. and yeah. Well, as far as Patreon goes, they're with us. 58% were the album. 33% better EP and 8% decent single. Someone was not a fan. They're nobody I, I'm curious on what they, what they would think the single is. <laughs> I don't I don't know. You got to have an A side and a B side. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I'd be curious I, to know. I'm going to guess I want to go where the people go in Justin Lust. <laughs> That, which would not be a bad seven inch uh, to slap those two songs on there. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, thanks to all of our voters and commenters for this episode, and thanks for bringing this to us, Phil. I I, I am so glad you guys like this. Uh, you have no idea that I mean, when my friend Tom sent me this, this was this was just mind-blowing to me <laughs> that I, t- I could be hearing this sort of thing and it never came out in the states like what the hell was wrong with people because <laughs> I, I mean that was it i heard this at the height of new metal you know and and the darkness <laughs> the darkness being the outlier but they were seen in the u.s as a novelty act right so uh, but yeah, I mean, when he said, when he sent me this album, I was just, I'm like, where has this been all of my life? And I immediately started shopping because at that point, um, what the, there was one, um, right after this, they split ginger did a, did a side project in 2000. And then they got back together in 2002, 2003. And have been going kind of on and off ever since. Um, but they, they have yet to completely 
just alienate me. <laughs> I haven't. Ha- have you checked out the new record, Twenty First Century Love Songs? I, I have. I do, I I own a. I own the UK Amazon exclusive that has twelve songs. Um, it's it, it is not this. Okay. <laughs> what I mean. It, I'm in a couple of Wild Hearts groups on Facebook, and and the the general opinion is very divided. Okay. Yeah. So. But it's been, but it's been successful. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, well, they had they had a big time big time promotional campaign with color variants and all that stuff. So there are the people that bought eight copies of the album on five different final colors well i think it's fair to say like the sound of this band is maybe even more relevant now than it was in 1995 you know i what they're doing is like you know yeah it it mixes together probably what of a lot of general rock fans at this point are familiar with oh yeah so oh yeah and they're all like still in pretty good shape it's mostly the original band and Oh yeah, yeah. They can. Um, they, they should have as much success as they've ever had if they can keep it together. Yeah. Well, I mean, all all of them have, all of them have side projects. Ginger has a huge catalog outside of the Wild Hearts. Um, CJ has like five or six records outside of the Wild Hearts. Um. Danny McCormick has a couple of records with um he had a band called the Yo-Yos who had a who had a record out on Sub Pop oh, yeah. in 2000. Oh, okay. I love um, I love that album. Yeah. Um I don't know what he's I'm not remembering exactly what he's doing at this moment as outside of the band. Um and Rich just which just does Wild Hearts and then, you know, probably goes back to a day job or something <laughs> but yeah ginger ginger keeps himself busy he has a yeah, huge catalog outside of the wild hearts he's a uh, pretty good twitter follow follow, follow too oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i mean i mean he was basically the crown prince of pledge music when that was a thing and uh He's very public and transparent about his struggles with mental health too. So yes, uh, oh no, he is a huge mental health advocate. So yeah, he put out a song called "Fuck You Brain" to benefit <laughs> uh, mental health research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, it's always good having you. Look forward to having you on again soon. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. And chatting on the Discord. You can talk oh, yeah. chat with uh, Phil on the Discord and all of our patron uh, uh, folks who like to uh, chat about stuff, whether it's porcupine tree or pineapple tree. Yep. Which one is what's the name of that band? Those bands? Porcupine tree. Porcupine thief and porcupine. Pineapple tree. porcupine thief and, and pineapple tree. <laughs> Uh, thieving those pineapples, and 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 lots of talk on of uh, TV shows. You could do yes. that too. Yes, um, you can do that by joining us at Patreon. Just go on over to uh, dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union. You get access to the Discord. You get to vote in these episode polls, whether it's a worthy album, better EP, or decent single. You get to vote in the monthly album selection polls where people Ooh, can those, drop those a, can get heated so oh I mean, very much so can, lots of politicking that's like and, netflix show drama yes you never know what's going to go down because those polls can get some some uh very interesting uh runoffs going or or uh or um head-to-head battles when the when the final votes are tallied uh, my favorite is when something wins and people go who voted for this well, you or, did. Or, or people conducting campaigns <laughs> saying, vote for Pinback! 
<laughs> Vote for Pinback. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's so good. But you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and suggest an album there, whether it's Pinback, Billy Idol, The Wild Hearts, whatever you whatever's in your uh, you know, CD player or cassette deck that you think that we should uh, check out as long as it's from the 90s, we'll give it uh we'll give it a shot in one of our polls. It's also where you can go to sign up for the Box Newsletter, which comes out every weekend. It's a calendar of new releases for the week put together by Mr. Jason Ziak with album reviews, book reviews, or movie reviews. Also documentary, uh, I guess we've done series reviews as well, relevant to 80s and 90s music. Delivered to your inbox, also available at Patreon. And last but not least, if you like what you heard, you know, consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>